0: Uh, Good morning, everybody. The Lord be with you. Murmurs. uh, Stand back up on your feet if you're able to. How many of you made it out to the prairie party last night? Man, was that amazing or what? 250 New Life Easter's came to that. It's just amazing. And uh, we got some people that we need to thank here. First of all, can we give it up to Colin Stoddard? He had the vision and the leadership for that whole thing. Colin Stoddard, you're amazing. To our incredible team of volunteers that made it happen, give it up for them. And Keith and Mary Beth Hollinger for providing the space. Let's give it up for Keith and Mary Beth. I got to say, you all are serious cowboys. That's what I learned about you. Man, just the outfits and everything, absolutely incredible. Uh, Colin came with a handlebar mustache last night. So if you missed that, you missed something special. So for that reason alone, I think we're going to have to do it next year. And it'll be like Halley's Comet zipping through the New Life universe every year. That glorious handlebar mustache. Yeah, just amazing. Okay, enough of that. Let's uh, declare our faith together before we open the scriptures this morning. Say it with me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And so we let these realities saturate our minds. Paul says... That if you have been raised with Christ, raise your minds, lift up your minds, set your minds where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. But the right hand of the Father and the reign of Jesus Christ are not something outside of our experience. The creed helps us remember that all that has been done for us in Christ Jesus has been done for us here in the conditions of our creatureliness, our lives. The story of God is our story. They are one and the same story. And so, Lord, we look for you here. We look for you here. We're waiting for you here. We fix our thoughts on you here. And we pray that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts and our imaginations. We pray that you would enable our wills so that our wills can run towards you this morning, that we find ourselves racing into the kingdom of God this morning. Grant this, we are asking. We pray that you would create apocalyptic moments for each one of us this morning, moments of revelation, moments of unveiling, moments of insight, where we see God in a way that we have not seen God before and where we see our own experience with eyes that we haven't seen our own experience with before. Grant that also, we pray. We ask that the Scripture would yield new insight for us, insight that helps us as we try to live faithfully before you. And we pray that the Spirit would enable obedience this morning. Grant that also. And we say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. You may be seated, Galatians chapter 6 Bringing our series in Galatians in for landing the next couple weeks. And then uh, after that, we're going to start a little series on the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is wedged right in there in between uh, Judges and before 1 Samuel, one of the most just exquisitely told stories in all of the scriptures. So we'll spend four weeks on Ruth, one week per chapter, which will be a nice setup for Advent, which begins the first Sunday uh, after Thanksgiving. And, uh, and then 2021 will be over. What? Holy smokes. Where did that year go? But here we are, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Uh, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you live by the Spirit to restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, he says, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are nothing, they deceive themselves. But each one should test their own actions, and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not... He says, become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of believers, brothers and sisters. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Paul has had uh, some incredible high watermark moments as he's making his argument through the book of Galatians. First four chapters of Galatians were... Wild stuff. I mean, his argument with those influencers who were trying to pull the Christian community away from the foundation of their faith in Jesus, crazy stuff. But then in chapter five, he really, I think, starts hitting his stride. And he has these epic moments that are just incredibly beautiful, like chapter five and verse six. Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, by the way, that might be the last time. No, I think we'll probably say the word circumcision one or two more times in this series. But I'm not going to say it anymore in this message. Pastor Colin, when he preached a few weeks ago, yeah, I think our AV tech guy, Jake Kaiser, was keeping track. And what I heard was it was 257 times Colin said circumcision as much as possible. Even the Apostle Paul was a little like, come on, man, like that's a little much. So we're not going to do that anymore. But Paul says... In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. But the only thing that counts, he says, is faith expressing itself in love. It's epic theological statement, right? Faith working itself out in love. It's like a beautiful, crystalline statement that helps us understand the life of faith. Or later on, in chapter 5, you know the fruits of the Spirit. What an amazing high moment. In all the New Testament, really, Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is, I'm sure you know it by heart, love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul writes against such things. There is no law, right? Incredible high-water mark moments. And you almost want Paul at the end of Galatians 5 to kind of go, okay, roll credits, and that's the end of this story. But he doesn't. He moves forward into chapter 6, and we come to chapter 6, and what I want to argue this morning is that Paul has not shifted his thoughts off of those things, Okay. He hasn't shifted away from talking about faith working itself out in love. Then he hasn't shifted away from talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Instead, what he does is he drops into the practicals. What does it actually look like in the life of community when faith works itself out in love, when the fruits of the Spirit are genuinely present? And as he does that, you get into the real humdrum of community life, right? Look at verse one. Brothers and sisters, if somebody is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, should restore that person gently. So we come off of faith working itself out in love and love, joy, peace, patience, kind of, and now all of a sudden we're talking about what happens when somebody in the church is acting like a knucklehead, right? And somebody's kind of gotten off kilter, and they're not really behaving the way that they ought, and there's a little static in community, and he goes, okay, so you folks that are living by the Spirit, you ought to come alongside that person, and as they are at that moment not aligned with the kingdom of God, help get them back on track, help them find the kingdom of God again, right? It's real ordinary stuff of community life. But then, of course, he says, that as you're doing that, you might be tempted to feel prideful and superior to that person. So he says, but watch yourselves, right? You also may be tempted, carry each other's burdens, of course, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And if anyone thinks that there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves and you need to test your own actions. So help each other when you're going astray, but then also at the same time, you need to have a cultivated posture of humility in your own life, in your own heart, right? Because if you don't do that, You'll probably actually be the next person that goes astray. So here we go, right? We're talking about the humdrum of community life. We're talking about housekeeping. Here, what happens when somebody gets off track? Uh, You got to make sure that you don't get off track. Then he talks about, down in verse 4, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to someone else. Each person should carry their own load. Now he's talking about personal responsibility in community, right? That we can't just look around and rely on everybody else to take care of everything else in the community. But we all got to do the dishes too, Right? We've all got household chores. You've got to, like, carry your own load. Every Saturday morning in my house, you know what I do? I clean all the bathrooms. That's like my job on Saturday morning. That's like a picture of community life, right? Cleaning the bathrooms. And here he's talking about the church. He's talking about the community of faith. And then verse 6, nevertheless, he says, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor, which most scholars agree is a way of talking about how you've got to make sure that the clergy get paid in the church, right? It's not romantic. We're talking about tithing and correcting people when they're in sin and walking in humility and having responsibility for ourselves. But what's interesting is that Paul connects all of that to the raising up of a harvest of righteousness inside the church. These things are very much connected. He talks about sowing to please the Spirit, and if you do that from the Spirit, you'll actually reap eternal life. Not just eternal life in the great hereafter, but you'll reap eternal life when? Now, And in the here, right, the here and the now, this is when we experience eternal life. I want to put this statement in front of you, just to have you ponder this for a second. Good things, I want to say to you, are not an accident. Do you know that? Good things are not an accident. They're actually built into the very fabric of how the world works. And when we experience good things, those good things are often, actually they're always, I'd argue, they're the tail end of a long process, and often that process involves a very great amount of work and toil and labor. Good things are not an accident. There's a couple that goes to New Life East here that came to the first service, normally at the first service. Martin and Christy Adamson, wonderful couple. They're the consummate Eastsiders. They live about 12 minutes as the crow flies that direction and they have horses and that's how we know they belong at New Life East. This is what I'm learning about you. If you have a horse, we've got a congregation for you. And Martin and Christy are amazing people and they had us over for dinner like a month ago and and Martin served up this great like, tri-tick steak that he makes, and beautifully seasoned, perfectly cooked, and then they served us all of these like wonderful vegetables that they had grown in their own garden, potatoes and lettuce and tomato and all of this. And before the dinner, sheet, Martin, Christy had actually taken us out to her garden and showed us the garden, and the garden was amazing. And we got these rows of beets and carrots and lots of other amazing vegetables and tomatoes. She has, and as you know, I don't know how to grow tomatoes. My dad who's sitting in the back, he knows how to grow tomatoes. I can't grow tomatoes. Christy Adamson can grow tomatoes like nobody's business. 14 different kinds of tomatoes. I didn't even know there were that many. And she showed me all of them, these little tiny things and then these larger things that make like good slices that you can put on BLTs and everything in between and all different colors and shapes and sizes and flavors and everything. And she has like an encyclopedic knowledge of the tomato and she's telling us about all of this and... Do you know that that garden that Christy played, that was not an accident. The yield from her garden was not just like, it wasn't like Martin and Christy were just kind of out sort of like wandering, being led by the spirit, you know, on the east side of the city. And all of a sudden they stumble upon this garden that just kind of came out of nowhere. Nature sort of just doing it on its own. And now that they didn't do that, you know, Martin and Christy bought that land like three years ago. Do you know what was out there? Nothing. You live on the east side, you know what it's like out there. It's crazy. Gardens just aren't growing, all right? This ain't the Garden of Eden. We're working at this out here, you know? And that's what they did two years ago, and they've cultivated this amazing thing, and now there is the yield of this good fruit. The same, by the way, is true of relationships. They don't just sort of like accidentally become good, all right? Life in relationship, life in community is like a really— it's like a lot of work. It's a ton of work. We don't just sort of like accidentally— lapse into the goodness of relationships, okay? Goodness in relationships is the long, it's the tail end of a long process. My parents who were here this morning, a couple years ago, my dad retired and uh, I'm born and raised in central Wisconsin. I've told you that before. My parents, gosh, I think it's probably four generations. If we go back, you know, in central Wisconsin on both sides of the family. A lot, like deep roots in one place. And a couple years ago, my dad retires and we've got four kids and they're growing up real fast. And so my parents are You know, so should we move to Colorado Springs? You know, and this is a big question in our family. Should the parents come out here, you know, be close to the kids as the kids are growing up? It's not really for us. We've learned that at this point. My parents are in it for the grandkids at this point. So should we move out there to be close to your kids and all of that? And so we're trying to discern that as a family. But, you know, one of the things that came out of that process, lots of conversation and prayer, is that you can do a whole lot worse in your life then being in one community, for at that time they were about 65, one community for 65 years. And all of the relationships, the depth of relationship that takes place inside that 65 years, it takes, I've always often said this, and I say it ironically, but the irony is part of the point, it takes a long time to make old friends. <laughs> they don't just sort of like grow on trees, you know? It takes a really long time, and every time. whereas my mom and dad, they're always regaling us with stories, of people that like I grew up in, with. And they're still in relationship with these people, a couple that they're real close to. They just were telling us a story about how the wife came down with COVID and she was getting hit really hard with it. And then the husband all of a sudden started to get hit really hard with it. And the wife calls my parents and I need to get him to the hospital somehow, but I can't do it on my own. Can you do it? And so my parents come out there and they pile him with the COVID body into the car and race into the hospital, willing right, to get in the midst of all of his stuff Because that's what relationships demand. Because it takes a long time to make relationships like that. They're living in the command of Paul carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you're actually fulfilling the law of Christ. Paul, guys, I think in this text here, is putting in front of us the really important question of what is it that makes for a rich life? What is it that makes for a rich life? And This verse here that's kind of like the hinge verse really of the whole thing is a verse that I knew well growing up in church. And you know it here. It's Galatians 6 verse 7. No, not that one. The one before. Previous slide. Ah, That's the one. As Paul says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. I knew that verse well growing up. But most of the time when we quoted that verse, we applied it more or less To financial prosperity. That's how we talked about it. 70s, 80s, 90s, big prosperity movement goes through the church. That part of what Jesus secures for us in his death and resurrection is not just reconciliation with God, but one of the things that we were taught was that he also secures for us physical health and financial prosperity, right? And so, but a lot of this has to do with sowing and reaping. So, you better make sure to sow into the church, right? And to a whole bunch of other ministries. Because then you'll be happy and healthy and wealthy and rich beyond your wildest dreams and all of that. And, but that's not really what Paul is talking about here, is it? And when we take that verse in that way, one of the things we do that Paul did not intend is that we make that verse very individualistic. So we make it all about the individual and them trying to get something from God, which is not, Paul is not writing to individuals. Okay, this is not 300 that like, just so you know. The New Testament is not like 365 days of daily Christian inspiration for individuals for us to use in our, that's not what this is. This is like written to communities that are wrestling with things, actual things. So this is like not written to you, it's written to y'all, like all the letters of Paul are. So first, it's not written to to individuals. But secondly, I think that that way of handling that verse was, uh, it was just blatantly materialistic. And we live in this American dream culture where everybody's trying to have the perfect body. Like they're all trying to look like Tom Brady, well into their... How does he do that? He's cheating. I'm just going to say it. There's something wrong with that. As a lifelong fan of the NFL, you can't look that young at 45 years old. That is not possible. Tom Brady, if you're listening, you need to repent. But that's, what, that's the American dream culture, right? We should all should live in Beverly Hills and all of that. And it got hijacked. It hijacked biblical theology. It's individualistic. It was materialistic. But that's not what Paul is doing here. Furthermore... It distracts us from where Paul thinks true riches actually lie. And for Paul, you can be sick in the body and have an empty bank account and still be very rich. Okay? Biblical prosperity is like a different thing. One of my favorite statements of the Apostle Paul on this point comes from Ephesians chapter 1. I quote this all the time to our volunteer team in the mornings. But Paul says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart May be enlightened. And then here are three things that he lists. I want you to pay attention to them. In order that you might know three things. Number one, the hope to which he's called you. Okay? What's he talking about here? He's talking about life in the new creation, the kingdom of God, all that God has secured for us in Jesus Christ. He says, I want your eyes to be open so that you'll see that and believe that and know that that is your future, even when things seem horrible and awful in your life. Okay? The hope to which he's called you. Number two, the riches, and this is the pivotal piece of it the riches of his glorious inheritance. Where? In his people. In his people. Among the community of faith. In the saints, the old translation says. So, the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then number three, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is, is the same as the mighty strength, Paul goes on to say, which he exerted Christ, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. In other words, the res, not just the generic power of God, but the resurrection power of God. But what I want you to notice is that all three of these things depend on one another, okay? That you're not going to know the hope to which he's called you, nor are you going to know the incomparably great power that belongs to us who believe, Unless you also and at the same time understand the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. And when you understand the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, you're also and at the same time going to have hope in your heart for your future. And you're going to experience the life-giving power of God. Does that make sense? Well, all of these things go together. And you know it when you experience it. When you're in vital relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ... Haven't you noticed that at, that at the same time, your hope in the future is brighter? It's when you get all isolated and lonely, that's when your hope for the future starts diminishing. And haven't you also noticed that even those times when it takes a lot of effort to drag yourself out of bed on a Sunday morning and get to worship, but you join in with God's people, you hug some necks, you raise your hands, you come to the table, you listen to the word preached, all of a sudden, right, there's like life in your body again. You know what Paul says that that is? That's the incomparably great power that belongs to us who believe, which is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted in Christ. What's happening? The resurrection power of God is coming into our lives at the same time as our eyes are being opened to the riches of the glory of his inheritance. In the s- are you tracking with me this morning? It's all, it goes together. It's a package deal. True riches, biblical riches, in the uh, biblical imagination. Here, a better way to say it. Stick with your slides, aren't Biblical prosperity is prosperity in relationship. It is prosperity in community. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? But here is the thing. Here is the thing. That it depends upon to live into this and experience it depends upon certain kinds of postures in community. And Paul gets at them in Galatians 5. A few verses earlier we quoted from. Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and then joy and then peace and then what patience or this newfangled translation says forbearance same thing forbearance patience right the ability to endure long okay in relationship with other people kindness goodness what's the other one there faithfulness in community in relationship gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law These things that we're talking about in Galatians 6 are the working out of those things. And those two words there, forbearance and faithfulness, guys, they are the very stuff of relationship. They are incredibly crucial, okay? My wife Mandy and I have been married for 21 years now, and I'm expecting you to give us an applause. We did okay with that. Okay, great. We're off to a good start. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Pray for her. And I, I remember the day that we were married like it was yesterday. It was an amazing day. All of our friends were there. family was there. 300 or so people packed out our little church. And this amazing ceremony. I remember her walking down the aisle. And we exchanged the vows. What a high point in a relationship, right? For better or for worse and sickness and health to love and cherish and to what? God, yes, amazing moment, right? And the whole day was amazing, and we went on a honeymoon, and that was great. And you know what I would love to be able to tell you? I would love to be able to tell you that every day since that moment, August 6th, the year 2000, that it's just been up and to the right since then. Every single day. I would love to be able to, I would love to, be able to tell you that every single morning, I'd love to be able to march Mandy Arn up on stage this morning and have her bear witness to you That every day, every single day that she woke up in the morning next to me laying in the bed, she roll over and she go, every good and perfect gift (laughs) comes from above, from the father of the heavenly lights. I thank you, oh God, that you have given me this man, Andrew Burden-Arndt, what a guy. I would love to be able to tell you that. More often, I think that Mandy has woken up in the morning and she's been singing, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, (laughs) I need you. What is he going to do? What new sorrow am I going to have to encounter today? What great transgression of our schedule is going to get thrown upon me today? What lapse in judgment am I going to have to deal with today? That's 21. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, right? Gentleness, in self-control, we have four beautiful kids, Ethan, Gabe, Bella, and Liam, ranging from 15 down to nine years. I remember holding those kids in my arms when they were born, like it was yesterday. I wept over all of them. It's incredible, incredible. And I remember uh, asking somebody before we had Ethan, I was like, what's it like to have kids? And They said, it is like a euphoric experience, this person said, and the euphoria never ends. And I remember thinking, that is amazing, and now we've had kids for 15 years and I realized that was just a lie. <laughs> it was straight, bold-faced lie. It was just trying to give me like encouragement so that I'd see the job through to completion. You know what I mean? And I love <laughs> our children. We have like many, many amazing, amazing moments together. And also so many like punctuating like it, the, the amazing moments punctuate mostly a life that is spent being like, okay, now what, like what? How many times do we have to remind you to put the milk lid back on the milk so that when the next person grabs it out of the fridge, it doesn't just go flying all over the... It's not intuitively obvious. You have to... The 11th commandment, maybe. Thou shalt not leave that lid uncovered, right? But no, you have to... And I'm sure they'd say the same thing about us, you know? That every day with mom and dad, it's like, what in God's name, what are they doing? I can't believe, why do they struggle so much with this, that, or the other thing? And why to get them off my back? Like, I love to be able to tell you that life and family has just been like this amazing romance.
1: It hasn't.
0: <laughs> and if you're sitting here this morning and you're just kind of feeling like maybe your marriage is a little like, or your family is a little like, Welcome to the party, guys. This is what it is. <laughs> this is what it is. But what you learn in the midst of it is that if you sow the right things in relationship, what Paul says, let us not become weary in doing well, right? For at the, do you remember what the verse says? At the, do you have it in front of you? At the proper time. You say, when's the proper time? I don't know. I don't know when it's going to happen. But what do you do? Like a farmer, you keep sowing, right? You keep pulling up weeds. and You keep taking care of the right things. And you keep sowing the right things into the relationship, trusting that when it needs to, that those ecstatic euphoria moments, like they're going to happen. But it depends upon sowing the right things. As a pastor now for the last 15 years, I've got a front row seat and have had a front row seat on so many relationships, marriages, friends, families, where the thing gets conflicted and it gets all out of whack and all of a sudden the life starts kind of ebbing out of it. And, well, here's what Paul says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps, what he? Sows. By and large, all things being equal, when relationships aren't working the way that God intends, it's because the wrong kinds of things have been sown into the relationship. It's because somewhere along the line we forgot to sow love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in the relationship. And what we started sowing instead into the relationship is fear or anger, selfishness, unforgiveness, bitterness, rage, envy, slander. And then all of a sudden we're surprised. That things aren't working in the relationship the way they're supposed to. And my boys, my two oldest boys, Ethan and Gabe, were real little. Ethan and Gabe are a little bit less than 11 months apart. Not recommended. (laughs) Those guys when they were little, they'd squabbling all the time, you know. And I remember when they were real tiny, I grabbed them both by the shirts when they were in the middle of it, you know. I pulled them real close to my face. And I go, guys, do not be deceived. (laughs) God is not mocked. A person reaps what they sow. I said, so, guys this is dad lecture moment. If I sow an apple seed, what am I going to get out of the ground? An apple tree? you got it. That's right. You're very smart. Very smart boys. An apple tree. I said, if I sow an orange seed in the ground, what am I going to get up out of the ground? An Orange tree? An orange tree. You've got it. You're on the right track. And I'd say, if I sow a banana seed in the ground and they would go, do bananas have seeds? And it's when you take the bite and it's that little, the, they're very small, hard to sow, but you can do it. It's being done all over the world at this moment. So you sow the banana seed, what do you get? They go, banana tree? You got it. Now, if I sow stupid seeds in my relationships with other people, what am I going to get? They go, dad, are we allowed to say that word? And I say, yes, for right now you can. I'm going to have special parental dispensation, Okay. If I sow stupid in my relationship with other people, what am I going to get out of it? Stupid trees? Stupid trees. That's right. And if I sow idiot stuff, if I sow idiocy in my relationship with my brother here, what am I going to get out of it? Idiot trees? You got it. It's hard. It's a little abstract. I know. But if that's what we want, if that's what we sow, that's what we're going to get predictably, infallibly. And it's the same as true as all of our relationships. That what we sow into them is what we get out of them. And think about the times when community life has been amazing for you. Mostly it's been because you've been sowing the right kinds of seeds into the relationship, right? But this is what we're called to. This is what Paul is exhorting us to. The church, brothers and sisters, which comprehends all of our relationships is the image of the Trinity. I'm waiting for a slide. Is the image of the Trinity on earth. And the enemy hates it and seeks to destroy it. The church, brothers and sisters, comprehends all of our relationships. And in the design of God, it's intended that it would be an image of the Trinity in the world. And so the enemy, knowing this, he hates it. He seeks to destroy it and deface it. How does he do that? He does that, I think, in three principal ways. And with this, we're going to start making our way to communion. Number one, and this is what I see in our day, as much as anything else, the enemy seeks to destroy Our relationships with one another, and especially those relationships in the church, number one, we got it? Through distraction. Through distraction. We forget that as baptized members of the body of Christ, our number one priority is gathering together with the saints in the house of God for worship. We forget. Do you understand that? Like, This that we experience together in here on Sunday morning is not some optional extra to the life of faith. It's like, yeah, I got Jesus, but the church is like bonus. That's not how it works. You get Jesus and his church all wrapped up into one, but distraction takes us away from it, right? We got all of these hobbies and things that we like to pursue and soccer or our kids' football or baseball, sports, whatever it is, becomes really important to us. And all of a sudden we're not inside this space. We're experiencing the glorious riches of his inheritance our lives are impoverished as a result, number one. Number two, I think what takes us away from the church is offense. Do you know that Jesus said that offenses will come? So many people, what happens is they start anchoring themselves in the body of Christ, and the moment something comes up, somebody says something to them that's a little bit sideways or mistreats them in a way that just kind of makes them feel like, I don't know, you've assaulted my dignity here. You know, you know what they do? They think that there's something flawed with that community, so they pull the ripcord, and they go to some other community down the street. And you know what they find? Big surprise. That community is flawed too. And then they move on to the other community down the street. And what do they find there? So we're either going to have to face this in community or spend the rest of our lives wandering about in these superficial and shallow relationships, of fence. But you know what I think the third thing is? I think the third thing that takes us away from the church is boredom. <laughs> the humdrum of community life that we've had those high point moments and we love those high point moments. But what we do is we hang our hat on those. And we think that every time we're among the people of God, that it should just be amazing all of the time. And when our church fails to rise up to that acceptable level of amazingness, we pull the ripcord. We assume that there's some deficiency and we go on to the next church down the street. And don't get me wrong. Like I love the high watermark moments. Do all remember when New Life East launched a little, uh, almost two years ago? Do you know how many people we had in this building? 751 people. Two services. This place was swinging. It's amazing. I remember as I'm preaching, people still coming in through the doors, like filling this place up. I remember sitting there, that service, thinking, this is it. We've done it. The kingdom has come. Right? Roll credits. Go home. It's all over. And it hasn't been the case. Ups and downs. Ups and downs. Right? And you start thinking to yourself that something's flawed in the community because you have those down moments. And I'm here to say to you that it's not flawed. Do you know what normal faith is? Normal faith is love, joy, peace, patience, the willingness to play it out over the long haul, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control the way that God has been all of those things towards us and when we are those things towards each other then a harvest of righteousness is raised brothers and sisters can we stand this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion we're called into the long game not just to these spurts of amazingness but to sticking it out with one another over the long haul and so would you do this as you prepare for communion would you lift up your hands and What we remember here in this moment is that nothing good happens in our lives unless the Lord goes ahead of us. And so Paul calls us to sow into the church, but all of that sowing takes place because the Lord is producing fruit in us first. The fruit of the Spirit comes before sowing to the Spirit. And so we say, Holy Spirit, we need you. And we say, fall upon us and rest upon us and awaken us to your goodness. Awaken us to your love in all the places where we have been distracted and bored and offended and we're getting disconnected, we pray that right now by your spirit, you would rush in among us, that you would, as the song we're about to sing says, that you would tear our walls down and that the movement of your spirit in us, oh God, would lead us into vital relationship with one another. So we say come and we say that not just for our individual lives, but we say that over this church. We say come Holy Spirit, build a family here. The come Holy Spirit, make rich relationships here. Come Holy Spirit, build up the body of Jesus Christ in this space for the sake of a world that is desperate for the love of God. Come, come, Spirit of the living God, come. We're going to sing this song of worship in response and then pa- Pastor Colin's going to lead us to the table. Let's sing this morning, family.
2: communion elements in your hand your response is on the screen would you respond after me the Lord be with you lift up your hearts let us give thanks to the Lord our God we agree that it is right would you do that right now would you hold in your heart thankfulness thank you for your love. Maybe might be some of you this morning have been contemplating what it means to be treated with the fruits of the Spirit, this kind of community and thinking, well, no one has done that for me. And what you hold in your hand is the proof that somebody did do this for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross for your sins with the ultimate display of gentleness, faithfulness, patience. He was and is these things to you today. And that is what inspires thankfulness in our hearts. And the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, would you hold this wafer in your hand and would you break it? This is his body being broken for you. Would you receive the bread? same night that he was betrayed he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you which washes away your sins this is this is purification would you receive the cup together and we respond in worship thank you jesus Would you lift your voices in doxology together?
0: did you do something? Did you grab the hand of the person next to you? Even if you don't know them, even if they're a total stranger. And here's what we remember today. One of Jesus' best friends, John, who knew the unifying, uniting love of God so well, said that no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another... His love lives in us and his love is made complete among us. You see that? When we're connected to one another in the way that only the spirit can do, God, the invisible God is visible in the world. And so Lord Jesus, right now, we pray that the spirit of the living God, the life-giving spirit, the spirit who binds us together in love would race through us in this place to make us that you would unite us that you make of us a family. I'm praying over every married couple in this house and over every family here, friends, even strangers. I'm praying that all, all that divides us from one another, all that scrambles relationships, all that breaks down the vital union that we have, that all of that would just be wiped away. Spirit, blow it away. And we pray that as your love comes through us, as your life races through us, that you would raise up a harvest of righteousness in our homes, in our families, communities, in this community. We We pray that the new creation would be seen in the midst of the old because a group of people decided to yield to the spirit. Do that, oh God, we pray. And now my brothers and sisters, I pray for you as you go this morning. I pray may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. OG, thanks, everybody. Hey, I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come forward this morning. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, I don't have anything else to say to you. You're loved, New Life East. If you're new, check us. uh, go out to Connect Central. We've got a gift for you, and that's about it for now. We'll see you next Sunday. Go Packers.